0: Um, you can open up your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and uh, we are talking about prayer, have been. Uh, we, did, uh, we talked about it a little bit last week. We are going to uh, look at Jesus as he is being an example for us in prayer. But uh, as we get into it, I want to present a concept, a principle to you, and that is this. In challenging moments... I need someone else to pray for me. In challenging moments, thank you so much, Joel. I appreciate that. In challenging moments, I need someone else to pray for me. So, you know, like that's not super profound, right? Like you that you get that, right? That's not hard to understand. <coughs> On the surface, that makes sense, right? So, uh, so it's true that when I face a need that actually my first thing that I need is prayer right like that that is objectively true that that actually the resolution to the need is not the first thing that I need the first thing that I need actually is prayer when I face a need it's also true that when I face a need that the spiritual support of my brothers and sisters is crucial for me in the midst of that need Right, that's also objectively true. right? Those are things that make sense to us. And so, in a sense, like this statement is obvious. In challenging moments, yes, we of course we need someone else to pray for us. But I'd like you to go down with me uh, kind of another layer into this. Because this statement means something a little deeper than that. What it means is that in challenging moments, it is not enough that I pray for myself. It is not, in in my most challenging moments, it is not enough that I pray for myself. In challenging moments, my own prayer for what I am facing will be inadequate. In challenging moments, I, I am not even the best person to be praying for me, right? That's what this means. If we take it down another layer, why? Why is that true? Why am I not the best person to pray for me? Why do I need someone else to pray for me? Well, first, I, I want to assure you that this is not a matter of volume or number, right? So, so, like, more people praying is always a good thing, but it's not like God is sitting up there going, oh, if we would have gotten that request out to, like, 10 more people, right, then, uh, then things would have been different, right? That's not what's going on, right? So, so why could this be? Well, it does, it does give people a chance to empathize with and understand my experience, right? So in my asking for prayer, my asking for prayer is actually a benefit to the person that I ask for prayer from because it gives us a chance to strengthen our relationship, right? And I don't want to downplay that significance. There's an opportunity for authenticity to be expressed in relationship, but that only explains why it's better, for me to ask for prayer for someone. It doesn't actually explain why I need to ask for prayer from someone. So why? Why does it matter? Here's why. It's a matter of perspective. In challenging moments, I need someone else to pray for me. And I'm actually not the best person to pray for me. Someone else is. Because do you know what I can't see? Do you know what perspective I don't have in a challenging moment? literally a perspective related to anything else besides the challenge, right? Like, I cannot see beyond the challenge that I'm facing. So, uh, actually, like, if you were to ask my wife about my perspective when I'm in the middle of a challenge. She would say that I actually, I become very limited. I become almost, uh, well, she wouldn't say this. She's much kinder to me than I am. But uh, she would say, I, you know, I become useless, right? Like I, I'm thinking about the thing that is the challenge and I'm focused on the challenge and the challenge is blocking out my presence to anything else, right? And so like, why would I pray for me if I can't see anything else besides the challenge that I'm facing? So what is prayer? What is prayer? Well, last week, we learned, as we looked at Jesus' prayer, we got some values that Jesus has when he prays, what's important to him. We learned that prayer is an, an expression of an th- authentic relationship, Right. That, uh, that as Christians pray, we pray in quite a unique way because we have an opportunity to relate to the God of the universe who has invited us into relationship with himself. That Father, Son and Holy Spirit existed before time, and Son comes down, uh, the, the Word of God becomes flesh, comes to earth to extend to us an invitation into the relationship that they have j- enjoyed together since before creation, that, that we're the only ones who get invited into this kind of relationship, and Jesus does that for us. And so prayer for us is something more than mere recitations or uh, mere opportunities to even learn something, prayer is our authentic expression of relationship with our Father, right? And we also learned from Jesus that prayer is a celebration of good news, a celebration of the gospel, that prayer itself is for God's glory, and so what does that mean? It means that when Jesus says the same thing a different way elsewhere, he prays it differently here in this prayer than he prays it in in another place, but when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven, that means that the kinds of prayers that Jesus is reinforcing are engaging with an awareness of what God is up to. Your kingdom, your will, the things that you are doing, the things that you want to accomplish, It's asking questions of God. God, what are you doing here? What are you up to? What is your agenda for this situation? God, how will you be glorified here? So when I'm in the middle of a challenging moment, it's hard for me to see what God might be doing because all I see is the challenge. And I need somebody who actually has the spiritual insight to recognize what God is doing to come and intercede for me because often what I think is needed is my relief from the challenge. But God is always up to more than what I'm currently experiencing. This is our principle this morning. God is always up to more than what I'm currently experiencing. Okay, John 17, 15 is where we are at. John 17, 15. So so last week, we started this series on prayer, and we understood what Jesus saw as important in his prayers. And so this week, what we're going to consider now is he is kind of turning attention toward the specific need that the disciples have, right? So there's this point in his prayer where he's focusing on what they need. And I want to kind of ask how he goes about addressing the felt needs that they're experiencing, because they're currently facing significant challenge, Right? They are on the precipice of the greatest difficulty that they will ever face. When Jesus is crucified, and they're all worried about their own safety, right? they're going to go hide in their homes, they're going to go flee away, they're going to scatter, and they probably have a perspective on what it is that they think they need from God. And so while Jesus recognizes their felt need... His prayers display an awareness that God is up to something bigger than what they are able to see. So as we seek to learn from Jesus this morning, I'd invite you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I uh, recognize that as I preach this morning that I am preaching to many people who are in the midst of their own challenging and difficult situations. Um. And there's an inclination in us to try to understand what it is that you are doing and why these things are happening. And there's also an inclination in us to just say, we just want relief. We just want this to be easier. And Lord, you are aware of all of those things. And it is truly only your supernatural power that can lift our eyes above that. And so that's what we need here this morning. Holy Spirit, we need your power to lift our eyes above our circumstances that we might be able to recognize the things that you are up to in the middle of the challenges that we face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're gonna consider Jesus' prayer with two questions in our mind. Those two questions are these. Number one, Ask the question of ourselves, what might I be inclined to pray for, as I think about this situation, as I maybe even empathize with the disciples, put myself in their shoes, what might I be inclined to pray for right as I think about the specific thing that Jesus is addressing as I think about how I would address that how what things would I ask God for, what would I do with their situation and then we're going to ask this second question, what does Jesus pray for? We're going to compare these two things. What might I be inclined to pray for and what does Jesus pray for? And then after we go through the passage and we consider those two questions uh, with this passage, what we're going to do is we're just going to summarize and see if we can draw together some principles of how we might go about praying for needs in the way that Jesus goes about praying for needs. So, We're catching Jesus kind of in the middle of his prayer. We're going to start in verse uh, 11. So uh, we're catching Jesus in the middle of his prayer, and, and in no uncertain terms, he has been acknowledging some tumultuous realities that are going to come against his disciples. He's been acknowledging them with his disciples, and those realities are actively shaping how he prays for them. His overarching concern for them is in the middle of the context of all of this crazy that they're about to face. So, like, remember his instruction, right? He's getting ready to leave. Uh, Disciples, you have a job to do. You've got challenge in front of you. The world's going to be hostile towards you. And so Jesus is praying for them in the middle, and this is the context of his prayer. And in verse 11, he kind of puts out his overarching concern for them. Verse 11 says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So for a Jewish person, their God's name, Yahweh's name, is a sacred, safe, powerful place. His name, if you look at the Old Testament, the name of God is spoken almost as its own entity, right? Like, it is a character of the Bible as we look at the name of God. And the name of God is powerful. He, like, it's God's identity, right? It's God stating who he is. It's God's way of making himself known. And so, uh, when he says, keep them in your name, he's saying, keep them associated with you whose name is I am. Right, Keep them associated with the uncaused cause. Keep them associated with the source of all truth. Keep them associated with that which gives meaning to everything else. Right? That's what it means when he says, I am. He's, he's essentially saying, I am the definer. Right? I am the one who gets to identify and define everything else. Right? So the bottom line that he is concerned with is that they do not abandon the truth that God has revealed to them In Jesus, right? Because Jesus is like the revelation of his name, right? And Jesus is saying, keep them in your name. Don't abandon the truth that they found. And he talks a lot about truth in his prayer as he goes on. So, but look at verse 13 now with me. Because there are are a multiplicity of ways that he is going to go about praying these things about keeping them in God's name. There's a, a bunch of different strategies that he has for the thing, the ways that he's going to engage prayer. So verse 13, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So these things are the things that they have come to believe. These are the truth, right? The truth that they have seen revealed in Jesus. These things include the very words that he's praying out of his mouth right now. He essentially says, I'm speaking truth in the midst of the incredible challenge that they're facing on the eve of what will be the greatest difficulty that they've ever faced. And so uh, let's process the first of our questions. What might I be inclined to pray for? I might pray for comfort and ease, right? If I know what I'm on the eve of, if I know the difficulty that I am facing, I might pray for comfort and ease. If I know things are gonna be hard, that I'm going to want opportunity for relief. If I'm looking at my own difficult situation, I want the difficulty to end. That's how I'm inclined to pray. What does Jesus pray for? Jesus prays for joy. He's been speaking to them about joy frequently. Like imagine, you know, they're in the evening, right? So this is like two or three hours that we're talking, this conversation has been going on. Uh, the topic of joy has been coming up frequently as he's been speaking. And, and that joy is strange because it is, the joy that he is talking about is in the context of all this difficulty that they'll be facing. So it's worth asking, like, where does joy come from? What causes rejoicing? I want you to imagine with me for a second a person wandering in a desert who has been parched. Right? they 've not been able to find water, imagine we 're maybe like two days and they 've just been uh, you know drinking you know they 've run out of water in their canteen or whatever they can 't find water anywhere. Joy is what the person who can 't find water in the middle of the desert experiences when they find an oasis that 's what joy is right They get to the oasis, and it 's like every fiber of their being has been longing for water, everything that they are has been trying to find water, and then finally they get to a place where there is really water. Joy is what a starving person who, who has no food, who has been trying to find food, like joy is what that person finds when they get to a consistent food source. Right? Joy comes from recognizing that a desperate need of yours has been met. Right? So in the context of what Jesus has been saying, what is the desperate need in this world? What is the thing that is lacking in this world? It's truth. Truth. The world is full of lies. It's run. In fact, you hear him pray about keep them from the evil, keep them from the evil one. Right? He's talking in other places about uh, the one who has power over this world. Right? This world is run by the father of lies. And the lies keep us isolated and endanger our souls. The lies turn us inward on ourselves and there is a drought of truth. And this is especially true in our day. The multiplicity of things that I could believe about myself and about the world is endless. Right? We, uh, I've been thinking a lot about the internet and its function over the last few days and what it's done for us. And uh, as I've listened to different people process the internet, the internet is essentially an amplifier right it's an amp- is you know so like don't think of it as a good or a bad it's just amplifying what already exists and if the multiplicity of what already exists is lies then it takes each lie each individual lie and amplifies it and makes that lie louder right so so it's especially true for us that there are uh, an endless series of things that we could choose to believe about ourselves and about the world. And Jesus prays for them and he says, let them be like the man in the desert who found the oasis. Let them be aware of their desperation for truth so that they might always find themselves full of rejoicing in having found the truth. Right, that's like the point. They might always find themselves rejoicing because they have found the truth. Joy keeps the prisoner singing hymns when the prisoner is imprisoned. Joy keeps the martyr sharing the gospel when they're actively dying for the thing that they believe. Right, Their situation is not happy or comfortable, but they sing and speak in the middle of terrible situations because they know they've found something that they have been looking for and could not find anywhere else. And it's the only thing that matters. So Nehemiah 8.10 says this. Uh, There's this sharing. Uh, They're they're celebrating that Israel has been uh, rebuilt, that the walls of Israel has been rebuilt. And what has just happened is that the whole congregation of Israel, uh, there has been a drought of truth in Israel. Uh, They have not read the law. They have not practiced their faith together in a very long time. And for the first time now, Israel is getting back together after their exile, They're coming into Jerusalem, and the law is going to be read. And after the law is read, they're miserable. Because they recognize how far they've fallen short. What God's expectations were, and how much, uh, not just their fathers before them, but how much they themselves have fallen short of what God has expected of them. And it's causing them a lot of turmoil. And so this is the instruction given to them because they're on a day. They're getting ready to step into a day of celebration, Israel is. And this is the instruction that is given to them. It says, go your way. You know, they have this calendar and the the calendar gives these various feast days and, and they're in the middle of a feast day. And this day is supposed to be a day of celebration. That's the day that they're on. So this is the instruction. It says, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Right? He is telling you this is the special day that He has set aside, this is the day for celebrating and rejoicing. So you are free to celebrate and rejoice. You know why? Because he's the one who created everything, and he said to go ahead and do it, and so you can do it, and you don't have to feel bad about the wrong that was done. There will be a chance for you to repent and confess and all of that stuff, and that is coming, but right now celebrate. You know why? Because he's your God, right? He has you. You don't have to worry about it. Rejoice. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And now strength is really important when you're going to get into the middle of situations that are quite difficult, that require you to uphold some things that are really challenging to uphold in other circumstances. And so Jesus prays for joy because he knows that the joy of the Lord is going to be their strength to remain firm. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So Jesus has told them, uh, the world will hate you and persecute you just like the world has hated me and persecuted me. So you are still going to go and love your neighbor, but your neighbor will hate your message, and as a result, they will hate you. And especially in the last two hours, as Jesus has been talking with them, he's been clarifying the intensity of the things that they're going to face, what they should expect, And so if you hear about this, that they will exclude you from society, that when you run, that they will in fact pursue you and hunt you, that they will force you out of your homes, that they will take away your livelihood, what are you most likely to pray for? Escape. Lord, deliver me. He is the deliverer, after all. Take me out of this situation. Give me safety. Lord, get me away from the people who want to do this to me. But verse 15 says this. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So while I might pray for physical safety, Jesus prays for spiritual safety. Jesus recognizes that the real threat to them is not what can happen to the body, but what can happen to the soul. Because when the heat is turned up, that is when Satan is roaring the loudest. Right? He's tempting them the most. And in fact, Jesus knows this because it's what he experienced. He goes out to the desert and fasts for 40 days. Right? And he experiences the temptation of the devil as he is fasting. And what is the devil trying to get him to do? Right? Because this is the moment when he's vulnerable. What is the devil trying to get him to do? What is he tempting Jesus to do? He's tempting Jesus to forsake truth, right? to step away from the truth that he knows. Right? And so Jesus knows that he's going to do the very same thing to these disciples as the heat gets turned up for them. right? The point of the temptation is, is to get them to doubt the reality of what they believe. To get them to say things like, the truth doesn't matter enough to die for. To get them to believe things like, Jesus left you to fend for yourself, it doesn't matter if you abandon him right now. To get them to believe things like, you know what, all of those people, they all believe that your beliefs are false. Right? That must mean they are, right? Right? Jesus knows that temptation will be very strong for them when things are difficult. And so he prays that they would be strong against temptation. And he prays with primary recognition that the battle they are facing is a spiritual battle. Okay, verse 16. They are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So one thing that is clear in what Jesus has said is that things for them are about to change in an incredibly rapid way. Change will be happening so fast for what they face that it will seem like chaos. In fact, if you could just plot out the next 60 days for them, right first Jesus is going to die and then it'll be like incredibly sorrowful for like three days and then he's going to rise from the dead and then they're going to be with Jesus but then they'll only be with Jesus for a little bit and Jesus is going to ascend into heaven right so uh, the Jesus who died and then was raised now is gone and they're by themselves and so he says go and wait and so they're going to wait for two weeks and then after that the Holy Spirit is going to come and things are going to get even more chaotic and more unexpected and more hard to manage right and then three thousand People are going to get added to the church. Like, you know, thousands and thousands of people. Like, these things are going to happen, and change is going to be taking place rapidly. And you know what? It will feel chaotic, and you know what chaos feels like? It's unsettling. It's not enjoyable. Right? There's, a lot, like, there's a lot that is challenging about that kind of chaos. You, you all remember in the middle of COVID, I'm sure you do. It wasn't that long ago. Um, Hey, after about like two or three months, we were all just saying, gosh, you know, it would just be nice for things to return to normal. Right? Like that's what we were saying. We were saying, gosh, it would be so great if things could just get back to normal. Like, if things could just be the way that they are, there's this impulse in us that says, man, what was familiar to us was so much better than what we're facing right now. You know, and and there were challenges to COVID and nobody wanted that to stick around. But the impulse in us to say, let things get back to normal, right? I might pray for things to return to normal. That is actually the thing that I could pray for. Jesus, so imagine the disciples now. Thinking about Jesus. Jesus, you know what? It was easier when you did all the work and we helped. Right? That, Like, seriously. I, I was happy just like, like being a servant, like being the second guy, right? While you did everything. Jesus, it was easier when you preached the messages. Right? Jesus, it was easier when you were the one doing the debating with the people who didn't believe. That was much easier. Right? For us, we might say things, you know, like, Y'all, it used to be a whole lot easier to do church when people showed up to church on Sunday morning, right? That's objectively true. Church was easier when people used to show up to church on Sunday morning. When people, like the number of people who will walk through the front door of a church, there are statistics on this. It has, like it's a rapid decline. There are less and less people who are now more willing to walk through the front door of a church on Sunday morning, just like on their own whim. It was much easier when they used to do that. It was easier when people used to let pastors in their homes. You know something crazy? People who were not part of a church used to call up the church in their neighborhood and invite the pastor of that church to come over and be in their home. That didn't, I I can tell, nobody's called me to do that. I've been here like five years. Nobody's given me a call, said, hey, could you come over? We'd like to talk to you. It was easier when technology was not amplifying so much other distraction in our culture. It was easier when most people actually wanted to hear the things that we had to say. They didn't mind hearing the things that we had to say. And it's incredibly tempting to think that the solution to the difficulty is for things to go back to the way that they were. And that's not what Jesus prays for. Jesus prays for their holiness. That is his concern. He doesn't pray, Lord, rewind time, help things get back to normal. He says, sanctify them, make them holy. So you might ask the question why do we talk so much about evangelism? mission and those kinds of things here right because right after he says sanctify them in your truth he says as you sent me into the world so i send them into the world which means there is this very close link between their sanctification and the mission that he's given them right make them holy because just as you sent me i'm sending them Right? So, so he's saying, he prays for their holiness, but their holiness is not just for holiness sake. Right? So why do we talk so much about evangelism and mission? Why are we talking about uh, people getting saved and sharing the gospel? Why do we talk about discipleship? Well, let me tell you why. The mission of reaching the lost and helping them find life and truth, it is the thing which drives sanctification. Right? It is the thing which drives our holiness. Like, we have to learn to display that we actually believe the truth in our actions. We have to let the truth change us from the inside out. If you do not live as if it's true, no one around you will have any reason to believe that it's true. And so, yes, things are culturally much harder than they used to be. And you know what that means? That means, like, the onus is for us to display that the things we say we believe, we actually believe. Right. So that's why Jesus says, don't take things back to normal, but sanctify them, make them holy so that people, when they see them and when they engage the mission and when they get sent out, that they will see, that they believe what they say they believe. So um, in case you have any questions about this, 1 Thessalonians four 4.3 makes just this super clear. Paul's writing to the the Thessalonians, and, you know, there are the, all these questions about, what does God want for me, and I wonder what God is doing in my life, and First Thessalonians 4.3 says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, right? That's, like, God is up to so many things, but this is something that you can pretty much always expect that he's up to, right? This is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, you becoming the person that he's making you into, right? I mean, this is renovation church. Why do we call ourselves renovation church? Well, this is part of the reason. If we're focusing on what God is doing in the world, the thing that he's doing, like we are stories that God is writing about Jesus making things new, right? He is is telling our story. He's shaping us into the people that he longs us to be so that when we get sent out, we might reveal to them something about the God that we believe in. Okay. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So this is mind-blowing, right? Because we talk about how we can't see beyond the circumstance that we're facing. Jesus turns his attention from the current context of what they're doing, and he looks to the future, right? So, So the difficulty is now, and I have challenged seeing beyond the difficulty that's right now, but Jesus is looking into the future and actually saying, like, he can see what will result from their sanctification, right? He's looking about what's going to come about after this thing that they face. And so we always think that this moment is about this moment, and God is always up to something that is beyond this moment. Right, so I might pray for what's right now. Jesus prays for what lies ahead. 21. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If we look at other Gospels, one of the things that we happen to know the disciples have been spending their time talking about in this two to three hour conversation that has been taking place. One of the things we know that they've been talking about is the kind of positions that they each will have. The kind of status That they have, what kind of authority will one have over another? And this this is part of their interactions. And Jesus has been nailing home this point about y'all need to love each other. You need to be in unity with each other. They're asking questions like who's going to be in charge? And right now, so so right now they know that it's Jesus, right? But they're inclined to think in terms of hierarchy. Right? So 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 where are the lines of authority at? And you know what? For what it's worth, Jesus does establish some lines of authority. But you know what? He doesn't spend a bunch of his time talking about those things. He doesn't even spend like, you know, a major piece of his time talking about those things. The thing that he spends the majority of his time talking about in relation to them is their unity. Right? So, So churches have elders and pastors And the Holy Spirit sends apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. But as Jesus prays here, his emphasis is not on the the hierarchy. His emphasis is on their love for each other and their unity. And so while it's true that some levels of authority are established within the church, The key emphasis of relationship in the church is not the authority. The key emphasis in the church is love and service, right? In fact, in the same conversation, as he washes the disciples' feet in a different gospel, we read him saying, the the, the rulers of the Gentiles use their authority to lord it over them. But I am among you as the one who serves, And Jesus is the one who's most in charge. Out of everybody, he's showing himself to be a servant. What he's saying is no matter what the lines of authority are, you all exist to serve and love one another. Be unified. Right, so... So anyone in authority is first and foremost to see themselves as a servant. Mutual submission, you see this concept of mutual submission in the book of Ephesians, right? That, this, that this, this idea that we are to submit one to another is kind of in the base operating system of every person who is in the body of Christ because unity in truth is actually the highest value. Right, so I might pray for roles to be clarified in, <laughs> before I go much further if we could just talk about um, the destructive things that have happened in the church at large over the last 20 years the the, the things that have been um, you, you, churches falling apart and things very public things written in newspapers and that kind of stuff that everybody can see right That that doesn't do this thing that Jesus prays where he says you know let them be unified so that the world may see that you sent me right so so all of that stuff has been happening, and it's not surprising to me that like the primary thing that it's happening around is the issue of authority and the issue of who is in what position, and, and how highly that position is held and to what uh, you know, degree and all of that stuff. So right, I might pray for roles to be clarified, that the right people would be in the right places and that the right roles of authority are followed. but Jesus prays for unity here. That's his focus, that's his emphasis. Okay, so, so that's the gist of how Jesus addresses the need. He summarizes his prayer at the end, and we can look at that. But, but right now, I think what I want to do is I just want to draw out some principles for us. So remember, God is always up to more than what I'm currently experiencing. Another way that I've heard it said is, is that this thing that you're facing right now is actually not about this thing. It's about something else. Right? We think that God is up to one thing. And this is, I mean, so God is God. He's much bigger than we can imagine, right? But, but because when we're doing one thing, it's usually about the one thing that we're doing, we don't realize that when God is doing one thing, he's actually doing like a hundred things at the same time, right? And so we need a spirit of openness when we pray, to see what God is actually doing in and around us. So after observing Jesus, I want to give us some really practical um, principles for us as we pray for others so that we can learn to pray God's will because that's what he's really doing. He's praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth here in heaven, right? He's getting a little more specific about it, but we need to learn to pray God's will like Jesus prayed God's will. So how to pray God's will for someone, As I put this, uh, this word up here, the, you know, these words, how to pray God's will for someone, uh, that makes this concept sound much more simple than it is. It is not as simple as the title would uh, kind of indicate, right? So rather than this being a recipe, and that, that once you've completed all the steps, you're now done, right? You've, you've accomplished this. Instead, they are principles that you apply, and the more you apply them, the better you become at recognizing and reinforcing what God is up to in prayer. All right? So that's how this works. So number one, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to name the felt need. Name the felt need. In fact, this is one of the most powerful and important things you can do. All right? Because the person that you're praying for should be able to hear that you understand their situation. Right, so, so Jesus, as he prays, he is very aware of what the disciples are experiencing. And you can hear it as he prays, and then, you know, he's interacting with their experience in different ways, but when he says, Father, don't take them out of the world, he thinks, he says that because he recognizes they're inclined to think, The best thing for me is if I were not in the world, right? If I didn't have to face this thing, right? So so be able to name the felt need, right? This is a a place of empathy. But then the other thing that this does for the person that you're praying for, as you name the thing that they're experiencing and you are speaking to God about it, it helps them to realize, like, God is drawing near to me and my situation, right? So name the felt need. It's a very loving thing for you to do, and it's very important for the person who's being prayed for. Second thing. This is something that you might do silently. You might do it out loud, right? But um, take time to ask the Holy Spirit what he's up to. Our, our tendency is when we pray, like, let's just start rambling on with words, right? Like, let's get the words out there and speak them all out, right? But this is, the the, the whole point of us having the Holy Spirit is that the God, the, like the living God of the universe is inside of us and he is now, uh, you know, wanting to reveal to us the things that he is doing. And so as he, as we are aware of this, like, there is opportunity for us just to take take some time. Like, prayer is a work of both us speaking and letting our requests be made known to God and at the same time listening, right? Listening to what he might be doing in the midst of this situation. So ask the Holy Spirit what he's up to. Number three, remember what the real threat is. The, The real threat is not A physical threat, although physical threats are very real and very experiential, and they're often the greatest thing that's in front of us in the moment. All right, but 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says this. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood around or throughout the world. You know, what's really interesting, and I've shared this story before, um, our district superintendent at one of our conferences shared with us a time that we, he went overseas, and he, he was in uh, a country where uh, Christians were persecuted, and as he was gathering with the church and, and they worshiped, uh, somebody, you know, started praying. Uh, one, of the, one of the people that he was with started praying for the, uh, the people there in that church and um, uh, prayed, Lord, keep them safe. And actually, one of the people from the church said, no, can you just stop praying real quick? Do not pray for our protection. Pray that we will remain faithful. Pray that we will remain faithful. That we will be kept from the evil one, that temptation will not pull us away from the truth. Don't pray for our safety. Right? Because that's how we are inclined to think, because of where we grew up and you know, the time and place that we live. But he said, don't pray for our safety, pray that we will remain faithful. And in the same way, verse or number four goes along with it stay aware of the mission. So God is using what he is doing in us to project to the world a vision of who he is and what he's up to, that we are actually meant to be kind of testaments of his glory to the nations until the day that Jesus returns. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, the answer to that prayer comes as a result of of what he has done in and through us. It is not the only answer, but like until Jesus comes back, the answer to your kingdom come, your will be done is gonna come through us, through the church. Wait, We are the ones who give glimpses of heaven here on earth that all people might be drawn into reconciliation with their creator. Right, so when we pray and this, like, this concern uh, of Jesus that the kingdom would come and that God's will would be, would be done, We are the people that he has chosen to utilize for that task in in this current time period that we find ourselves in. So number five, try to recognize who God wants them to become. Right, so as we think about sanctification and as you are trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, as you are praying for another person, Maybe God might give you a glimpse of something that he's doing inside of them. Maybe God might give you a glimpse of something that he's shaping or forming them into or something that he's preparing them for. But, uh, you know, as we talk about our three, uh, you know, words of our vision statement, as we step into becoming Renovation Church, right? We are going to bless, we are going to belong, and we're going to become, right? God is in the process of making us new people. He's doing, He's always doing something to shape and form us. So as you pray for somebody else, be asking the question, Gosh, God, what what are you trying to shape them into? Okay, so just a little bit of a note for awareness. As you pray and listen, be open to the fact that God may actually show you something. Right, it's a profound concept, right? But it's we don't just say to do these things to do them. We do them because God actually like shows up and and reveals things to us, right? So the Holy Spirit may reveal something to you as you are praying for them that specifically that you need to pray for. The Holy Spirit may give you a word of encouragement that they need to hear. The Holy Spirit may give you a word of knowledge that applies to their situation. The Holy Spirit may give you a verse of scripture that is prophetic for this person at this moment. Uh, God may prompt you to pray for their healing in a specific way. And so say, yeah, I think God is prompting me to pray for this. Is it okay if I pray for this? Right, God may make you aware of a point of particular spiritual need for that person. Say, you know, I don't know if, if this is true or not, but, like, I think God wants me to pray for this. Should, is this something that you would like prayer for? You know, so you're taking a position of humility, right? But you're also being bold to say, I think God wants me to pray for this, right? And if they say, yes, pray for it, then pray for it, right? So these are things that may actually happen as you are praying for a person and listening to the Holy Spirit for what he wants to do. And so if you are on the receiving end of this kind of prayer, Where somebody comes to you and says, hey, like, I think I have this word for you, or I think I would like to pray this thing for you, I think this is what, I I just invite you to receive those words from your brother or your sister with humility, and then test them, right, test those things, right, don't just, you know, uh, scripture is the only thing that is authoritative in our life, that word is not authoritative in your life, make sure you test it, right. If you are a person who gives these things to other people, a word that you got from the Lord or something you want to share or something you believe God wants you to pray for, then you give with humility, right? And you be very careful that you're not confusing your own judgments with the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's just a special note. As we talk about praying, about listening for what God is up to, about praying God's will, like there are these really big things that God is always doing, that he is always up to, but there may be more specific ways that the Holy Spirit would prompt you to pray and be open to that. So prayer is our opportunity to cooperate with what God is doing. At the end of the day, As Jesus prays for his disciples, he is really trying to help, like he is working together with God because this is what God is up to in their lives. Okay, so what? So what, number one, uh, warning. Don't let prayer become a tool for gossip and slander. Um, We don't need to tell Jesus this because he knows this, but we do need to tell us this, right? So especially when we are praying for someone else's sanctification, It is really easy to let our specific judgments about their situation, and it's really easy to let uh, what we assume is going on in their lives, it's really easy to let those things into our prayers. But we need to resist that. We need to keep gossip and slander out of our prayers. Like I have seen people betray things that were spoken to them in confidence by bringing them up in a prayer meeting. I have seen people disparage the reputation of other people through the vehicle of a prayer meeting. I have seen people allow their personal judgments to influence their prayer request for another person rather than asking God what what he's up to in that person's life. They let their own judgments influence what they are praying for for that person or requesting for that person. And we need to be kept from the evil one as we pray just like the person that we're praying for needs to be kept from the evil one. So that's why, as you have this big goal of praying what God is up to, praying God's will for that person, you should add another goal. And that goal is that we would preserve the reputation of those for whom we are praying. That should be something that you get excited about doing, is preserving the reputation of the people for whom you're praying. Number two. The Holy Spirit, this is an encouragement for us, church, the Holy Spirit is always praying with us and for us. Right, So you can at least take heart in this very thing. When I said you need someone else to pray for you at the beginning, even when you don't find another brother or sister to pray for you in relation to that thing, the great encouragement that you have is that the Holy Spirit is actively praying the things of God's will for you, right? So yes, we are inclined to pray for things like relief and comfort and healing, and the Holy Spirit might be praying something completely different, but we can take comfort that he knows what God is up to, and this is why we can trust when we pray that our prayers are even effective. That even when we are going through pain, that there is still effective prayer taking place on our behalf. Even when we are struggling to see what God is up to, and even when those around us might be struggling to see what God is up to, the Holy Spirit still knows what God is up to, and He, he is still actively praying those things for us. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is praying the prayers that we need. Right? We should take great encouragement from that. Romans eight twenty six and 27 says this, Likewise, at that and listen to the spirit. Look for what God is up to because he's always up to much more than the thing that we think he's up to. Would you pray with me, please? Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift that it is to know you and to walk with you and to look to you and to trust you. And I pray that you would enable us to be in prayer for each other to take opportunities to to pray when they present themselves to listen to what it is that you're up to in the life of a brother or sister that we might more fully become a people who are watching and who are waiting and who are observing the things that you are trying to accomplish in the world or teach us to trust that your will is good, and that the things that you are doing in the world are ultimately for our good, for the good of those who love you. Jesus, thank thank you for teaching us. Thank you for praying for us. One of the things that we didn't get to talk about but that we are grateful for is that in that prayer you prayed for your disciples. You also prayed for us. We are those who have believed because of the word that they spoke. And the thing that you ask for us more than anything else is that we would be unified. So teach us, instruct us about unity, about mutual submission, about setting aside our preferences for the sake of one another. That we might display to the world the reality of the things that we believe. That Jesus was, in fact, sent by the God of the universe to save. And Jesus, thank you for these things. We pray that.